0: Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxein, a pediatrician and mother of four who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. On today's episode, we're gonna be talking about family meals, one of our favorite topics on the podcast. We'll be talking about um, you know, some of the more recent research about the benefits of family meals, We'll be talking with Dr. Ann Fischel, who is a clinical psychologist, family therapist, and professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. She's gonna tell us a little bit about her own experience in her family therapy, as well as the teaching that she does for residents and psychology interns. She's also gonna to talk to us about a cool project that she has called the Family Dinner Project, which is mostly an online project and resource to help families prepare and uh have fun conversations and games through family meals. So, I'm really excited to welcome Ann to our show today. All right, well thanks for joining us today, Ann. Oh, thanks for having me, Kristen. It's great to be with you. So, you uh you kind of wear a lot of hats. You're a family therapist, a clinical psychologist and a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Right. Some people may have heard of that place. (laughs) Um, And then you also uh, are the director and co-founder of the Family Dinner Project, which is a nonprofit organization that we'll have you tell us a little bit more about during the show. Sure. And the author of two books, so Home for Dinner, and co-author of a book, Eat, Laugh, Talk, the Family Dinner Playbook, which you have graciously offered to offer as a giveaway for our listeners. That's yes, and our, two professional books, and two professional books. So you're you're a busy lady. I am. Awesome. Well, <laughs> I am very excited to have you on the show today. Um, I think the first thing that I really love to ask, because I'm always interested in how people get get to where they are. So. You, as a family therapist and now such a huge advocate for family meals and family dinners, can you kind of walk us through how you became so involved in advocating for family meals through your personal life or your work or kind of what brought you here?
1: Sure, that's a great question. And I think, you know, whenever you're really passionate about something, it comes from many different sources. So it probably started as many things do in childhood, where family dinner was the main ritual that my family really observed more than birthdays or religious celebrations, but you could set your clock by dinner at our house at 7 p.m. And I think you know much of what has been valuable to me as a mother and as a family therapist, I learned around that mahogany table with <laughs> uh, tomato juice to start and Uh, roast chicken and always dessert. Um, You know, I learned how important it is to listen even to people who are very quiet at the dinner table. Uh, How important it is to use humor when things get sort of heated. Um, The importance of having a chance to talk and feel listened to and to connect with my, my sister and my parents and how to tell stories. These were all things I learned at my dinner table. And then kind of fast forward 30 years later, or 20 years later, after the birth of my second son, my husband gave up smoking. And uh, it was very, very difficult for him. Mm -hmm. And I think it is for anybody who's smoked for a while. And I I wanted to be of help to him. And I thought, what can I do to kind of liven up his day a bit? And I thought, well, I could make one, one good meal and so I threw myself into making a, a nice dinner every night and I had these two little boys and they hung around with me in the kitchen and I had a cabinet for them to putter with Tupperware and they helped me stir the soup and crumble the cheese. And turned out that anything they got their sticky little grubby mm-hmm. hands on, they wanted to then eat when it came to the dinner table. And that was kind of the start of us, Cooking a lot together, the, my sons and I, and they're being willing to eat anything that came to the table if they had were stakeholders, if they had helped with it or picked the recipe or or whatever. Um, so, and that became really sort of the centerpiece of our family life. Those those dinners, um, something that we all looked forward to. And then I guess the professional connection came a little bit later. Um, I have a home office, or I did before the pandemic, when Mm -hmm. I could see people in person, I have a home office that sits below my kitchen. And one night I had popped a chicken into the oven and came down to see a, a father and son in my office. And it was one of those hours that was just very tense and difficult and the father and son either weren't talking or when they did talk they were kind of snapping at one another and about halfway through we all started to smell my chicken you know that sort of (laughs) delicious lemony garlicky taste was just coming through the the air vents and i thought oh this is sort of embarrassing you know it's a (laughs) saying it's not what family therapists should do. And then to make matters worse, the son turned to me and he said, could we stay for dinner? Oh, And I thought to myself, not only can you not stay for dinner, (laughs) but you're gonna miss your own dinner. Mm -hmm. And I had this very radical thought, which I didn't say, but I thought to myself, gosh, we should just stop the session. I should give you a cookbook send you home, tell you to cook together and eat together, and you'd be so much better off than staying here Mm -hmm. with me. And, you know, I was starting to learn about the research, the dozens of studies that now have been done that show that 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 private thought wasn't so far off, Mm -hmm. that there are so many incredible mental health benefits to families eating together, you know, so much so that I sort of only half jokes that I could almost be out of business if more family did families had uh, dinners with one another.
0: Totally. So yeah. Well, that is I think that that's a great point. And so can you obviously since that time, you've done even more reading and research into, you know, what has been shown to be associated with family dinners and family meals so can you walk us through um because we've talked on the show obviously we're huge fans of family meals that's sort of one of my main tenets and and my hopes to share with people is really these benefits but from your standpoint and I think particularly as a Person who specializes in mental health and family mental health. Um, can you walk us through so, a lot of the benefits of family meals that have kind of come out of the scientific research?
1: Sure. Yeah. There have been, I guess, now 25 years of dozens of scientific studies that show that families who have dinner, or of course, it could be breakfast, it could be lunch, it could even be an intentional snack, but we'll just say dinner for shorthand so that families who have these regular meals with one another. um, It's great for the nutrition of the kids. It's great for uh, cognitive development and for mental health. So just a few kind of of my favorite studies uh, on each of these buckets. In terms of nutrition, without even trying the Meals that we make at home are lower in fat and sugar and salt and portion size tends to be smaller than it is in the restaurant equivalent of those meals. And kids who grow up having family dinner when they're young adults and living on their own tend to eat more fruits and vegetables and to be less obese. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And there's also better cardiovascular health uh, in teenagers. So, you know, it's it's the whole body that uh, is really benefits from from regular family dinner. then in terms of the cognitive benefits, for young kids, the um, talk around the dinner table uh, has more unusual words in it than the words that we read in picture picture books to kids. Mm -hmm. 10 times as many unusual words get spoken around the dinner table. And so young kids pick up these words and their vocabularies really blossom And when kids have bigger vocabularies, they learn to read earlier and more easily than kids with slimmer vocabularies. And then there's a connection between academic success and regular family dinners. It's a a bigger predictor even than doing homework or art or sports. And then the mental health benefits, um, which is really the the bonanza for me as a mental health (laughs) professional. Um, they're associated with lower rates of substance abuse and eating disorders and lower rates of depression and anxiety. And on the plus side, with uh, greater resilience and self-esteem. Um, and, you know, mainly because this is the most reliable time of the day that most of us have to, to connect. You know, we mm-hmm. don't, um, you know, in, that's just the, the way it is, I think, for most families and. 21st century America, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like we we farm together anymore. Play musical instruments. Um, mealtime is really the number one chance to connect. And you know, I think when kids feel that there is a reliable time that they know they'll have their parents' ear and that gadgets will be turned off, the TV will be turned off, that this kind of bond that is predictable and reliable around the kitchen table is like a seatbelt um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the, the rocky road of, of childhood and adolescence.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and I think you kind of mentioned this in your book as well, is it's like, it's something that we probably all intuitively know is something that's good for us. Um, I don't think there's many people that would argue that it's not something that's good for you, but as you delve into the research, I don't think, I don't think we have the concept that it's, Benefits are as far-reaching as they actually are. It doesn't feel like this incredibly powerful thing you're doing, right? It just is this, like, well, we all got to eat. Um, but, but in the yeah. end, when you get into it, you're like, wow, this is this. You know, if I do nothing else in parenthood, right? If I do yeah. this, I, I, you know, it's really like a good return on investment. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, that's
1: such a great point. I mean, how many things can you do that basically take? I mean, you know, on a good night from start to finish about an hour, you know, the average amount of time that Americans spend eating with their families is about 20 minutes and probably get dinner made in about 30. And um, how many things can you do that take an hour that deliver all of these benefits? Um, I don't think there is anything else.
0: No, and especially when you compare it to some of the other things you mentioned that I think we as parents take a lot more time for, like even, you know, art classes or or sports, getting your kids into them. And we spend so much time preparing and driving them to all these activities or the one the studies you mentioned about the kids and sort of their vocabulary and reading readiness And I think, you know, how much how rigid sometimes are some parents about like we read these bedtime stories and do our bath and go to bed. And and I mean, not like I'm saying, don't read to your child, of course, you know, I'm going to encourage that. But I don't think we realize, well, you know, if if you gave up dinner time together to make sure that you get this rigid bedtime routine in, you know, maybe flipping that will actually give you more benefits.
1: Yes. Yeah, although I do. I do like a nice bedtime routine, too. Oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that might, that has probably separate benefits in terms of adult sleep and things of right. that nature. Right. But right. I just it's think
1: it's... And
0: vegetables, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and what about, too, I think one thing that maybe we've talked about less on our show, but I think is important. What about the benefits to adults for engaging um, in family meals?
1: Yes, this has really been... An, it, an interesting development or something that I've become aware of just in the last year or so. I think during COVID, as I've been thinking how tough the pandemic has been on on working parents, um, and delving into mealtime a little bit more and how it's changed during the pandemic, it got me focusing on what it's been like for, for adults who eat with their kids or who eat with, who don't have kids who eat with each other. And there is, uh, growing research that um, adults benefit too, that their uh, mental health is better, their nutrition is better, They, if they eat with their kids, they tend to diet less and binge less, and um, just maybe in order to model good eating practices for their kids, it sort of keeps them uh, doing better in, in, term, in those terms. Um, And then, you know, there have been a couple of studies here and there of adults who benefit, who aren't, um, who eat with other adults, even who aren't related to them. Um, You know, you think about um, firefighters who have Mm. been studied and firefighters who cook together and eat together have uh, greater team coordination and perform better um, as a group. So, you know, family dinners are not just for blood related families. Mm-hmm. They're really for anybody who, uh, you consider, you know, people who make you feel like you're at home and that could be close friends, uh, their benefits throughout the life cycle to college age kids eating together and, uh, adults in assisted living, eating with each other.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I think we've talked about that too. It really, you know, we call them family meals or family dinners, but families just kind of can be defined a lot of ways and you can be a member of several families really. Um, but yeah. I, I love that because I do think that just, um, is so huge in sort of making this like team atmosphere, whether it's like your family team, your work team, your school, or sort of friendship circle. Uh, I think that that really kind of defines you as like an in group, if you will. <laughs> yes. I mean, I-
1: in fact, when, when people who disagree with one another break bread together, mm-hmm. they find it easier to find common ground. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is the great leveler and equalizer and and um, starting point to help people connect. It's yeah. like the universal language uh, food is.
0: Right and I think I'm going to make I'm going to embarrass myself now with my like lack of linguistics education but isn't companion isn't that something like breaking bread or bread with someone or something so I I always think of that and I should probably look it up so I can say it more eloquently in the future but I learned that I was like that makes so much sense It does it does I have to look that up too <laughs> Somebody will <laughs> uh, So okay so kind of thinking back to your current practice in family therapy, in what ways now that you've sort of come to this realization that, you know, the family meals is such a important component, um, what ways do you integrate that into your family therapy practice?
1: Well, I pretty early on ask every family and couple that I see. Do you enjoy having meals together? Um, How often are you able to do that? Do you know some of the research on how great it is? Um, And if you're not, what gets in the way? And can I help you maybe find some workarounds to those obstacles? Uh, You know, I I know from talking to hundreds, thousands of families at this point. that families face the same obstacles all around our country, all probably all around the world. They're sort of the same ones that come up over and over again. And, um, you know, we're too busy. Our schedules don't match. We have picky eaters or selective eaters. There's too much conflict at the table. Why bother? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Food is so expensive. We can't afford to eat healthily. Uh, we're distracted by technology. Uh, teens don't want to eat with us. Young kids won't sit still. You know, th- these are the ones that I hear over and over again. And um, I've been, you know, kind of collecting ideas from families about how to solve some of these. And and I'll kind of, sh- if families are interested in my practice, I'll share some of them. Um, and see what what they've tried and, and see if any of these ideas I'm sharing might be ones that they might want to try.
0: And are there um, any solutions that you've come across that seem to be super helpful for the families that you work with?
1: Um, well, you know, it really, it varies from family to family, of course. Um, sometimes families like uh, some fresh ideas about how to make dinner a little bit more lively or interesting. So, one thing that I've suggested is to uh, download some conversation starters from our website and cut them up and put them in a jar. Um, sometimes I've made the jar for families I work with and handed it to them and said, "Try this out. And if you don't like the conversation starters, you know, make make your own. And I'd love to hear about them. But I might put some whimsical ones in, like." Uh, What character in a book would you most like for a friend? Or uh, what's your favorite way to relax? Or uh, what superpower do you wish you had and what would you do with it? Or what's your earliest memory? Um, So I might put about 10 of these in a jar or ask families to ask their teenagers to select a whole bunch of conversation starters and and put those on the the kitchen table. so that that's one idea. Sometimes when I hear that teens don't, parents think that teens don't want to eat with them. Um, I tell them that the research really tells me the the opposite that most teenagers would prefer to eat with their parents than to eat alone or with their friends. Um, and so, you know, I I tell them to resist that uh, kind of cliched idea about adolescence um, and to, you know, make sure that their kids, their teenagers know that they're expected. And maybe the teens would make a playlist that could be played during dinner, or maybe their teens would like to invite friends once a week um, to liven things up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they'd like to make dinner or a portion of dinner um, to get them more involved. So those are some ideas that come to mind that I've used. Recently, with families.
0: And do you feel, I mean, do you think that when you share uh, the benefits that you know from family meals, do you feel like most families are surprised to hear that they're that important?
1: Yes. I think that as you were saying earlier in this podcast, that most families intuitively know that eating together is a good idea. And more than 90% of parents surveyed report that they know it's a good idea and yet only maybe between 30 and 40% are actually having family dinner on any given night. Mm-hmm. So there there's a gap there. Um and when I spell out all the benefits from the cognitive to the nutritional to the mental health when you see that sort of wide array um most family most parents are surprised that it packs such a punch. Um, They might have known about one or two of those things but didn't realize that it did quite so much
0: and have you had uh, can you think of any stories of clients that you've had that have maybe implemented or increased the number of meals that they're having together and had kind of positive outcomes or come back to you with positive or maybe negative i guess what have been the experiences of of the clients that you've kind of worked with in this regard
1: Yeah, I think um, you know. I try to um, start very small and just ask, "Is there one thing that you would like to change?" Um, And I I think it's sort of human nature. If you have a a a small win, a small success, it makes you want to continue with that endeavor or maybe add something more to it. So you know, I've tried to use that approach in in working with with clients is, um, what would you like to try this one week? Maybe it's uh, having two meals instead of one this week, or maybe it's trying the conversation jar, or maybe it's getting your kids to help you in the kitchen or getting your partner to uh, lighten your load because you seem very, very exhausted. Maybe that's the change you want to make. so yeah, I think it's a. I think of the dinner table as almost like an annex to my office. There are things that we can start to talk about that then can be implemented. You know, several times a week. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a, um, showing a little more appreciation, and maybe we start that in the family therapy hour, and then they try it around the dinner table.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that brings to mind, you know, we had Miriam Weinstein on our show um, a few months back. And that was, I think, a big takeaway because I think for people that aren't having family meals or um, feel like that's sort of like an uncomfortable change for them. The big takeaway, I think one of the things we talked about was it's fine and better to just start small. So don't expect to, you know, change your whole family and routines overnight but like you said you know if you're having one let's try two or if you really like help let's try that so it's just those little steps just meet yourself where you are pick a small goal and then like you said when you kind of get these little wins it really motivates you to take the next step and in none of that really did you even talk about necessarily like what you were eating so at first just starting like whatever you eat we're just going to eat that and we're just going to start eating it together. And then I think from there, if down the line, you'd like that to change or improve in some way, then, then you can make those kind of incremental steps.
1: Yes. I I think that, that you, you put that really nicely. And I just want to pick up on um, one of, one of the things that you just said, which is that the, or implied that the food is really the least important part mm-hmm. of family meal time you know of course you can't have family dinner without some food showing up but food is really what brings everybody to the table and then it's what happens around the table that accounts for all those incredible benefits that i was talking about earlier you know the secret sauce of family dinner is really the quality of the time around the table mm-hmm. you know if, if everybody's sitting in stony silence or um, somebody is yelling and, you know, there's so much conflict that you're just almost choking on your mashed potatoes. This is not, this is not going to be good, Mm -hmm. but everybody feels welcomed and there's some laughter and time to relax and tell stories and um, feel that somebody wants to listen to what your day has been like you know this is what makes a dinner so powerful
0: definitely um, well and i think there's so much there's so much information that is kind of like brought to you through the media that's a lot about what to eat and so i think as anyone but particularly as parents you get these sort of messages all the time like that are you know cute pictures of toddlers plates and my kids should be eating you know kale muffins and all these things all the time and so you start to worry so much about the what and then, like you said, the true benefits or like the biggest bang for your buck is just working on this how. Like, first, let's just eat together. And ironically, it, it makes for like the research would show. Ironically, you do end up eating better, maybe even without trying um, so hard. And then on top of that, I think making changes becomes easier because you've already got this sort of structure of, making a meal every night and having the family sit down, like you already have that structure in place. So even then those changes or improvements actually are easier if you do that part first. (laughs) Yes, that's right. And
1: the, how is, um, you know, the, the why is, is the research, but Mm -hmm. the how, you know, given that parents want to do this and it seems like such a simple idea, but it's not an easy idea. And this is what I was really um, grappling with when I was thinking about that father and son and wanting to just send them off with a cookbook or tell them just to go have family dinner. Um, you know, it's not so easy. And this is where the Family Dinner Project is really so valuable. And it's it's a go-to for me as a family therapist. You know, I I refer mm-hmm. my patients to the Family Dinner Project. Um, so it's a you know family dinner project I co-founded in 2010. So it's been going almost 12 years mm-hmm. and the ideas to help families um, have had to make it easier and uh, more doable, more fun, more meaningful, uh, to make it an easier lift so that you can go to the website and get some ideas about a ga- some games to play that, will lead to conversation and that will lighten the mood and to get some recipes that you could get a budget friendly that is uh comports with snap and wick so it's a dollar 40 per person mm-hmm. um, plus a game and a conversation starter you could get that every day of the week a different one um, so there's inspiration there they're games they're conversation starters they're easy recipes it's sort of a one-stop shop to get all the things you need to make a, a really fabulous uh, shared mealtime uh, with your family.
0: Yes, I would say because that's actually how I first came across you in your work was when I sort of encountered your website. So uh, thefamilydinnerproject.org and came across it and I thought, wow, this is such an incredible resource. Like all the things you talk about um, as helping you to sort of implement and continue with family meals. It's it's all things that seem simple, but they're all in one place. And I always say as a parent too, a lot of times things are just, it's just decision fatigue. So it's not that you couldn't have come up with a lot of those things that are on that website. Um, right. It's just that you know, by six o'clock rolling around, you're not thinking of like, well, what's a conversation starter? What am I gonna make for dinner? It's sort of all there to help parents hit those steps. Um, And I thought, this is so cool. Like, what a great idea. And really, as you look at it for anybody that's not familiar with it, and they definitely should go check it out because I think it could be super beneficial for anyone, whether you're already doing family meals or not. Um, Again, it can kind of meet you at whatever step you're at and sort of give you ideas for taking things to the next level or making things even more Fun and and uh, beneficial, but there's a whole, like you said, whole ideas for recipes and things you can cook, um, a whole section on just conversation starters, um, and then games and stuff, which I thought was really fun, like all kinds of games that you can play, sort of at dinner or around that time, or even just you know at, with as other family time throughout the day. Um, so just an incredible resource, and I thought that was really cool and. Um, useful for anybody, really. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, um, everyone should check that out. But can you kind of walk us through the, how did this come to be? So
1: um, the idea started from a woman named Shelley London, who was a retired VP uh, at, a, from, at a corporation. And she really wanted to... F- figure out some different ways that families could have more ethical conversations, um, talking about what they believe and who they want to be as a family. And she did this in a variety of ways, but one way she thought was to encourage more conversation at the dinner table. And she assembled a group of us from all different walks of life, different ages. Um, So she found Me, because I was starting to do some, uh, to write my book home for dinner. Um, And there was also somebody in conflict resolution, some educators, some design people, a chef. And we all started meeting kind of united by our belief in the power of family dinner to be so great for families. And, you know, we saw what, what do families need to be able to make this happen more often and, um, with more fun and meaning and so on. Um, and so that, that's really how we got started. And it's now a website that's had m- more than 2 million visitors. Amazing. Um, and then we do a lot of uh, work in communities. We um, partner with different organizations, school districts like the Cobb County in, in Georgia and um, We're doing work with No Kid Hungry in Montana with tribal communities there and um, with special ops uh, military families. And so we we have partnerships where we do trainings of educators or facilitators and um, train them to do our big community dinners, um, which is families coming together in schools or clinics or homeless shelters or military bases and cooking together and eating and Um, playing games and uh, doing a little parent workshop. So we train people to do that in their own communities. And then sometimes we just get invited to host a community dinner or a parenting or caregiver workshop. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been a little different during the pandemic because we don't, we can't have these sort of wild chaotic community dinners and, big cafeterias or whatever but we've we've brought them online we do somehow we've managed to do community dinners and and workshops virtually so
0: very um, cool yeah I mean you kind of have to get creative now right yeah thank goodness I guess you know as I look always to like silver linings but I'm like at, at least this pandemic hit in a time of zoom and facetime and things like that where you know we do have some power to kind of connect in ways that previously in history we did not if we weren't in person meeting so yes yeah,
1: yeah. Been able to connect with our far-flung relatives and have meal time that way too which has been a, a little bit of a silver lining
0: yeah and have yeah. you been able to collect any feedback or data from any of these communities or even like the online audience that you guys work with
1: yeah we we've been collecting data really from the beginning um, with all the community programming that, that we do and um, trying to you know learn from that and change things that could work better. but um, I, you know one of the big takeaways I think across all of the programming is that families come with the goal of trying to improve, their cooking and their food prep and so on, and they leave the programs Um, having done that, but more to me, more importantly, feeling that the conversation is better, that they're enjoying each other more. And, you know, since that is the secret sauce, that's Mm -hmm. really what I'm most interested in. Um, So um, yeah, they come with, this one goal that's more food oriented, and then as they get more deeply into the benefits, they realize that uh, what they come away with is is um, more enjoyment of the time spent with with each other.
0: For sure. Uh, so when we we talked um, previously you had said, you know, as a pediatrician, you said, oh, one of my great wishes is, I'm I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure you said it more eloquently, but was that, uh, you know, as pediatricians, like at our well child visits, we'd be asking about family meals. And of course, they totally agree um, and can see how that is beneficial and important in so many aspects of looking at a child's healthy growth and development. But you yourself work as a professor with medical students and um like they like therapist students i'm probably not even saying the right name for that correct psychiatry <laughs> residents, psychiatry and-, residents yeah, and yeah yeah um so what is your kind of what's your messaging or your experience with students because obviously you know getting old therapists and doctors to change their way is always more difficult than getting the new the new batches so um what, what do you talk to them about or, or how do you approach this topic with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they probably get maybe a little tired of hearing about it. I, I slip it in. I give a whole talk during the course of um, a year long seminar on family therapy and couples therapy, um, but then I slip it in here and there. Um, one thing that I do that I think is quite powerful is I have the residents and psychology interns um, pair up, you know, in dyads and interview each other about what family dinner was like when they were growing up. Um, and I tell them to spend, you know, I we do it during class, and they spend five minutes interviewing one and then the other, so ten minutes total. And I give them a bunch of, you know, prompts, you know, where did you sit. Uh, how did you pick that seat? Um, what was the meaning of food? Who cooked? Who cleaned up? Who planned? What happened if there was a disagreement about um, what was offered at the dinner table? You know, if somebody didn't like it, how did? What? How was that dealt with? How did mealtime change over time? What happened when guests came over? And what they find, I think, pretty universally. Is that it is a little microcosm of their families? That in five minutes, they have described so much about how affect was uh, expressed or not, what gender roles there were, how conflict was managed. You know, so much gets captured in this little um, snapshot of the dinner the childhood dinner table. So I kind of start with that and that usually gets their attention. They sort of realize, "Huh, asking about family dinner is a pipeline mm-hmm. into so much of what goes on in a family." And so just asking that question, you know, as you were saying a screening question, mm-hmm. "What's family dinner like? Tell me about it." can yeah. be a very powerful entry into learning about a family and Easier to ask about and easier to answer than these very sort of technical questions about, you know, what were gender roles like in your family or um, how was conflict expressed. Yeah. Much more organic way of of getting at it. Um, And then, you know, I share games that they could play in family therapy with their patients, particularly if they have kids who can't sit still for 60 minutes of a family therapy hour. And then those are the very same games that they could send those families home with that those families could play at the dinner table. And that could encourage conversation like tell a rose, a thorn and a bud about your day. You know, something positive, something difficult is a thorn and a bud is something you hope will happen tomorrow.
0: Oh, I love that. I did have a friend, she said they had roses and thorns, but I like the bud addition too. We hadn't done that one. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah, or uh, I had another friend. They did happy and crappy. That was what, what was happy and what was crappy today. <laughs> so, That's a good one too.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, but I do love that, and I think that that can be applied. I mean, we think of it in medicine or therapy, but there's so many people that work sort of in a position where they're interested in helping people in terms of their health or wellness or social well-being and I think like you said um that's a question that probably doesn't get asked as a as an initial question because I think it just doesn't occur to people but you're exactly right in a short time it can really tell you a lot about a, a person whether it's their upbringing or their current situation in their family um I think even teachers and things asking those kind of questions it can just give you such a good idea of the home life. But then I think that also, as we see that it becomes such a microcosm, again, sort of underlines. Well, then clearly this is sort of an important, an important experience throughout our lifetime. Absolutely. So go go ahead, please.
1: Worked on so, you know, pretty easily, Mm -hmm. which is another aspect of it. I mean, you know. Dinner time can be can be awful. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mean to sugarcoat this, and people can have had very traumatic things happen at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not having enough food, or being punished in some way at the dinner table, or having a parent who drank too much and got out of control and got really mean at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so important to know too. And you know, as a family therapist, I think, well, your current family dinner or mealtime is a chance to do things differently, you know, concretely to do things differently and to bring different meanings and different relationships into with your kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because that's the way things were growing up, they don't have to be that way. And we could, you know, build step at, at, at a time some new routines and some new ways of, uh, being at the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that too. Obviously to kind of get all these benefits, the mealtime needs to be a generally positive experience. Um, right. and so that I think is the other big part too, is we worry so much about what's to eat and all of these details when really it's like, if you can work most to make it a positive, uh, comfortable experience for people where we're not arguing um, or it's not you know for a lot of young families especially these kind of mealtime battles where we're fighting about how many pieces of broccoli you need to eat before you can leave the table and things of that nature Um, you know we think that we're doing so good to get that extra piece of broccoli but instead we've just made you know what could have been this wonderful positive dinner experience a negative one you know for two bites of broccoli or whatever we were trying to do. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, It seems very tempting to
1: focus on the getting just, just take one more bite of that. Right. Um, But at what cost to parents to have to be so vigilant and on top of their kids and, you know, tense and and at a cost for the children too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the less talk about the food, generally the better. Yeah. Uh, Better to tell stories or to ask how your day was or to tell a funny story about something that happened to you on your way to work. So much better than um, getting one more bite of broccoli.
0: For sure. And I think, you know, the other thing that these kind of conversations always spur me on to is that, you know, um, it helps to set yourself up to make the family meal a positive experience so we've talked about and maybe this will segue into the next question I want to ask you about we'll see but um you know having some structure to the eating in terms of not having kids that are grazing all day because at least you know for me working with kids and picky eating or parents always worried they weren't eating enough at dinners um a lot of times that would be the case is that You know, that anxiety would also lead them to allow a child to kind of graze all day because they were always worrying they weren't eating at meals. Um, But in fact, they were just sort of shooting yourself in the foot when it came to dinner time because, of course, their young child doesn't want to want to sit there and eat anything that they made because they've just been you know, eating snacks and crackers all day, they're not even hungry. So you've already kind of set that up or things like you have where you have a plan, sort of recipes planned ahead of time. So you're not getting in, you know, from work at 530 and then saying, okay, what are we going to eat for dinner? So things like that, um, that can set yourself up too. I think that it's almost like after you've made this decision, think what are things I can do to make this easier for myself and sort of set us up for more positive experiences around preparing meals and eating together. Yes, yes.
1: yeah, I, I did some focus groups with pediatricians uh, a while back. And the number one thing they talked about was trying to get their pa- their families to stop giving snacks to kids all day long. Mm-hmm. But they thought that if parents could hold some of those snacks back, that kids would come to the dinner table Hungrier, and a lot of problems around picky eating would disappear. For I don't think sure. that's the whole story, but but certainly I think that's an important piece. And yeah, yeah, you know, what you say about parents sort of setting themselves up for success. I think um, planning ahead for those of us who are able to do that, uh, and figuring out some shortcuts, maybe figuring out some meals that. We can do with just what's in the pantry that we don't have to rush to the grocery store more than once a week. Um, making double batches on Saturday or Sunday and freezing some of that. Uh, I think I was sharing with you what I heard from some military families, which was they had a swap day where five um, parents whose partners were deployed, these five women as it were, would get together, Um, they would each make five times the meal uh, that they were going to make for their own family, and then get together with the four other parents and swap. And so I love that. Walk away from the swap with five different meals for the whole week. Um, You know, that's a level of organization. It is. I myself could never (laughs) achieve, but I, you know, I think you could do it maybe once in a while, or with one other family, do you know, make twice the amount and then swap it with a with a neighbor, and you'd have uh, at least one meal sort of cooked for by somebody else.
0: Definitely, yeah, I love that, and I think that's another thing I always encourage people is to look for, get creative about, and accept help. Um, because there are things you can do like that. Like you said, even if you just have a friend and you just say, hey, do you want to try this? We'll swap and it's fun, right? Then yeah. it's kind of too, you get to try something because it's always interesting. Like, oh, what do other people eat? Right. And so <laughs> things like that. Or, you know, I've uh, now, I think there's even more options like that with. There's sort of these like uh, HelloFresh or these sort of like meal kit delivery services. And so for people, if that if something like that is an option for them, especially if they're not people that are have traditionally cooked or been in the kitchen, sometimes I think those things can be a really good sort of transitional um, confidence builder in terms of like, oh, I can cook and I can prepare things Um, and a, a, a jumping off point. So, that maybe you'll branch out and do things a little bit differently in the future. Yeah. Well, one thing I really was intrigued by is you had shared that you did a nationwide survey on um, pandemic family meal times. Can you share a little bit about that and what you learned through that survey? Yeah. So, the Family Dinner Project
1: teamed up with the Harvard School, uh, Harvard. Graduate School of Education, and we did a nationwide survey, Um, and the the portion that the Family Dinner Project was interested in, no surprise, was how pandemic meals have changed or not, and what changes um, that families made during the pandemic they expect to hold on to. And we found that 50% of the families surveyed said that they were having more meals with their families and that the quality of that meal time had also improved. So they were talking more about news and politics. They were laughing more. Um, Kids were cooking more. Partners were getting more help from other adults in the family. Um, So these were changes. And about half said that they wanted to hold on to these changes that they had made, that they um, we're going to cook more, go out less. Uh, they enjoyed the increased bonding and connection that they had discovered or rediscovered um, during the pandemic. And, you know, half said that they were not going to hold on to the changes. And some of those um, were responses from people who already were having regular family dinners. Oh, so sure. they, they hadn't made many changes to that. And some felt like they had cooked enough for a lifetime, but you know, <laughs> they just couldn't wait to start making dinner reservations. Um, and some felt that it, you know, had been too forced to spend that much time with their families. Right. So it was kind of half and half. Um, but, I, I, you know, I thought that it was in, encouraging that, or maybe it was a, a slight silver lining that um, many families had found. That because they were forced to um, to have breakfast, lunch and dinner, that there really was something very valuable to Mm -hmm. it that maybe they they wouldn't have discovered otherwise.
0: I, I mean, I think so. Just in sort of like anecdotal experience, I feel like that was the case is that you had a lot of people. You know what? Not, not so much by choice, but or maybe it gave them the opportunity to make it easier to say it was something they wanted to do anyway. And now yeah. nobody was going anywhere. Um, and so they finally got to kind of get that practice under their belt. But I think that is the case. And now, you know, things are starting to, you know, activities and. Uh, in-person work and things like that are certainly starting to resume and I know with my kids you know they're back to having after-school activities and sports and clubs and things of that nature but even in that regard I think it was you know a little bit of a a little bit of a reset for people in the sense that you just sort of reevaluated when all those things went away part of you missed them and part of you were like why were we doing all this stuff in the first place? You know what I mean? Turns out it wasn't that crucial. And we were just running right. around like crazy people, getting, you know, from appointment to club meeting to sports to work meetings and all of those things. And so, you know, I, yeah. I definitely know, at least for us, like, I mean, we've definitely resumed doing a lot of those things, but I think it gave you a new respect for that home time and some perspective on, like, you know, you know my 7 year old's basketball practice is not necessarily going to ruin our evening. <laughs> it's just not that important. So um a little yeah. reminder maybe we all needed.
1: <laughs> yes, the pandemic really did prompt a lot of reevaluation of priorities and how we're going to spend the precious time we have on this earth. Yeah. So
0: Well, I want to move on. So we have another section of our podcast that's called Ask Me Anything. So I have some listener questions. That It's Ask Me, but it's really Ask You Anything. Um, So our first one is from Kelly and says, As a psychologist, um, I imagine you have worked with people with eating disorders. If so, how does eating as a family or not relate to the development of eating disorders and or the recovery from eating disorders?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I worked, I was, did a training early in my career in eating disorders, but have not really continued with that in the the decades that followed, but it's something I'm very interested in and um, was actually just um, talking with a young colleague of mine about coming together to to think specifically about this and creating some new resources for families where family members are are struggling with eating disorders. So, I want to say check back in about a, <laughs> a year, and I'm going to have a lot more um, help to offer. But I, I would say in general, um, you know, in broad strokes, there's research suggesting that family dinners where there's a, a easy atmosphere. And not too much focus on the food that this is protect can be a protective of the development of eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's you know not the the only factor, but um, it's definitely uh, a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if a child is starting to um, you know exhibit problematic eating. Um, I think it's important not to to talk too much about food at the dinner table or pretty much anywhere, you know. Not to do that, you know. Just have another bite, or uh, why don't you like what we're what we're having tonight? And you know, or to harangue that child in any way, and also to look to see what kind of um, behavior around food the parents are modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they Parents who are dieting at the table do set a certain example to their kids that's not not very healthy. Um, so, you know i when I work with families, one thing that I think about is how do the fa- how do the parents feel about eating with gusto and um, showing their enjoyment of the food? and uh, their enjoyment of the conversation and the time spent at the table—you know—that that would be something that I think would be important. Um, but you know, eating disorders—it's a—it's a complicated uh, uh, disorder and set of disorders. It's really not one thing. So we we can't—I can't say it. there's a direct connection just between what goes on at the dinner table and whether uh, a child will develop an eating disorder or not.
0: Um, Yeah. I always think, um, again, like referring to Miriam Weinstein's book, I remember one section of that was she talked about how someone worked in a eating disorder, um, treatment facility and how they had noted that most of the patients didn't know how to set a table. And so I thought that was interesting, kind of suggesting a Perhaps there was a lack of organized participation in family meals, um, where they just sort of missed out on that skill. And again, that's a lot of you know making associations, but you can't help but wonder, like, and and thinking about how I feel that a lot of disordered eating occurs in isolation. And so, just having you know being with other people, I think often will temper your. Eating behaviors somewhere closer to the norm, for whatever that is. Just because you're not alone. Um, but the the only other thing I thought of is, if nothing else, it's it really provides that regular check-in between parent and child, where you you see the red flags maybe before they become larger problems. So to me, yeah. if nothing else, even if you know this person has this propensity or has these struggles as a parent, when you're there every day and observing them on a regular basis, you just notice these things maybe before you would have, if you didn't kind of have that regular daily check-in that is the family meal.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Kristen. And and of course that's true for problems across the board. Mm. Um, it, it is a great time and place to check in. Um, and for parents to be alerted to things before they get big.
0: Exactly. Well, yeah, I think that this circles back to be involved with so many other benefits, you know, whether it be um, you know, using drugs and alcohol, um behavior issues, depression, all those things that seems protective about. I can't help but think part of that is probably just, you know, having a parent that's there and saying like something's off or something's changing yeah. about you and we can intervene I- earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Okay, so second question is from Gail. And actually, I think you talked a little bit about this earlier. Um, She says, my mother was an alcoholic and we did not have regular family dinners when I was growing up. Many memories I do have of sitting as a family to eat are not positive, as I recall much conflict between my family members at the dinner table. I now am the mother of two girls and we do eat together, though not every night, maybe a couple of times per week. Uh, though I did recently read that family meals can be protective against alcoholism. Can you tell me about the research on how family meals can impact the lives of children from alcoholic families? Yeah,
1: there have been a a bunch of studies, none all that current, but that were um, very, very interesting and, and sort of provocative. One of them that comes to mind was a study of families where there was an alcoholic member and the families still had regular family dinners. And those fam, the, the kids of those parents um, fared much better as adults than kids who had grown up in alcoholic families where they didn't manage to have family dinners. So that was one bit of research. And then there was other research that Um, kids who had grown up in alcoholic families who uh, made a commitment to having family dinners with their own families were able to, um, I won't say stop, but curtail the development of alcoholism in their, the the families that they were now the parents of. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, they're, I don't know that we know all what the mechanisms are, but there does seem to be something um, protective. Uh, Growing up with a family of an alcoholic, if dinners happened anyway, and they were generally positive, that's protective Mm -hmm. of those kids developing alcoholism, and then skipping to the next generation. If those children of alcoholics are able to make a commitment to having family dinner, that that can stop the transmission of alcoholism to the next generation.
0: Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. Um, and so certainly, yeah, for Gail, I would encourage her if that's something you know that you know runs in your family and even though maybe the mechanism isn't entirely understood, I would think even more of a reason to make it a priority with your own kids um, with hopes of preventing that for them in the future. Um, but I do think uh, it kind of brings up that question always that I've always asked with family meals. There's sort of this chicken and egg. Like, is it just a sign of a family that has their act together that they eat to eat together, and that's why the kids are doing well in school and not on drugs, et cetera, et cetera? Um, but I think it, even so though I, I,
1: I mean that's such a great question. Um, many of the studies, particularly the bigger studies control for that Mm -hmm. so that the benefits are over and beyond what you could explain just by a family being more organized, more connected, more coherent and so on. So um, it seems not to just be that the families who have these, you know, are able to get their act together are the families that benefit most. there's added benefit even over and beyond the family being, um, together, whatever that might mean.
0: Yeah. And I think that that, as I was reading, um, your book too, I think that this was the line you used, and that I love to use. That was sort of like, it's hard to know exactly, you know, how much of it is. Not knowing the mechanism, not knowing how much of it is because of the family meal or how much the family meal just sort of represents overall what's going on in the family. But a little bit, like you said, there is some evidence, strong evidence that suggests just doing it has its own set of benefits. But the line I love is just sort of like but does it doesn't really matter and you can kind of fake it till you make it, which is a, a line I use all the time. You know, you just sort of fake it at first and then after a while you will become that family <laughs> yeah, to a certain extent, you know?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's also the, the it's such a great time and place to become that family, you know, mm-hmm. to, have those conversations to be more organized to be more connected um so it yeah that's the other way the chicken and the egg go
0: well thank you so much Anne. this has been a wonderful discussion before we leave is there any other thoughts or or recommendations you have for our our, our listeners
1: well i just i would encourage people to play around on the website the family org, and to Um, Sign up for free to the newsletter, um, the monthly newsletter, or to the Dinner Tonight's or the budget-friendly for the um, $1.40 per person per day, per per meal. Um, So, and, you know, reach out, and uh, if you have any questions or you want to bring programs to your community, please uh, contact us. And thank you so much for this opportunity to to chat with you i i really enjoyed it
0: well thank you so much and we will include links to the family dinner project and um where they can find your books we'll provide all of that in our show notes so if anybody's looking to connect they definitely should and we'll provide all that and then also um as we mentioned at the beginning of the show People can win a free copy of uh, the Family Dinner Project's book simply by leaving a comment on uh, any of our Facebook posts related to this episode, and we'll pick a winner, a lucky winner for that book. Um, If you're not the lucky winner, though, please go ahead and reach out and get that book, um, because I think any family would benefit from that and all the resources on the Family Dinner Project website. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. And thanks for tuning in for another episode of Feeding the Family. Be sure and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we will see you next week.